Welcome to the All Things Data Podcast, Change Management Edition. That's right. While I'm on the road, so it's That's also right. a road edition, roadie edition. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Do you have a driver? Uh, I wish. No, uh, unfortunately, we're not yet at that level. So. <laughs> <laughs> Autonomous driver, hopefully soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, this isn't an electric; it's a diesel. I'm the opposite of friendly right now. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, today we wanted to talk a little bit about the the way that people put projects in place, or like getting projects started that are you know AI and um, data driven. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people keep ta- touting and talking about the power of AI, but like, why is it that Canada only has you know twenty five percent penetration? Generally, it's we all have you know organizational momentum and I guess muscle memory on how to run non AI projects, right? That's right. Well, even just new initiatives, if you think about it, you know, when you want to add a new initiative to a company, things like I'm going to change the POS systems at my retail, uh, my retail sites, it takes like years to get that stuff done. Yeah. Right. So, you know, a company that wants to adopt AI and, and that, I mean, adopting AI could be anything. It could be, you know, just putting a chatbot in place, but it also could be, you know, adding anti-fraud. It could be adding, you know, um, Oh my God, I'm totally blank. Yeah, <laughs> like all I can think of is like fraud detection. Systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many, yeah. Video <laughs> analysis, all kinds, yeah. That's right. So if you want to be putting those things into place, I mean, they they need to be added faster, obviously, um, yeah. because the thing is, well, one, it's not like they're not physical devices, but you're putting a whole new process and workflow into place. And I think, you know, putting your putting your organization behind one of those processes, uh, you know, can be a pretty daunting task. And like, I believe that a lot of people just don't know where to start. Right. And I mean, if you look at very large organizations, like I'm on the highway right now, so I see very, very big buildings with huge names that we'd all recognize. So like Lenovo's right there and Tangerine is right on the other side. I mean, those places have been around long enough where they've, had to live in the world of like heavy waterfall uh, project management. And then they've tried to iterate their way out of that and get into like Kanban or possibly go full agile and scrum. Mm-hmm. But that still lives in the world of like, it's not really science. Science is experimenting. That's right. So it, it's a lot harder to project manage a science project. It's like try to project manage a thesis, let's say, right? It's way yeah. more difficult than project managing a web app development. That's right. Well, and it's also, you know, one big thing I think is that even though you're, you know, kind of what the end goal is, the big thing is, is that you're chasing a moving target. Yeah. Right. And, and a lot of people just are not in that, in that headspace. And, you know, you're already making a ton of money doing what you do. So why are you trying to make the move? So I think one of the big, one of the big thoughts and one of the big ideas is, you know, figuring out what that executive strategy is, you know, figuring out that if I want to disrupt the market or even if I just want to make things faster or make things more automated or, you know, increase a X, Y, Z, you've got to figure out, you know, what that like internal value proposition is or that internal uh, goal would be, you know, and it's, and it's, um, and it doesn't have to be super lofty at the beginning. You know, it's not like dominate the world. It yeah. just might be like be best in class or it might be, 
Um, you can even start small in that, like automate a process. Like, that's right. really. That's you right. Know? And in I mean, that's not necessarily AI. It's RPA, but still, whatever. Automate a right. process. It, it leads to innovation. leads to change management. So that's right. They're getting the right mind, mindset. Yeah. Right. And that's changing the organization like piece by piece, right? Like you're not going to just drop it. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, RBC is going to be a digitally native company or something, right? They just like close down and then open back up. So, I mean, the more people, the more, the more uh, cooks in the kitchen and the more management and the slower it becomes. But, uh, you know, I think it's um, what, like, what are you actually trying to do? What are you trying to, um, what's the story you're trying to tell? And then how do you get that buy-in? Right. And do you feel that like this is a, these initiatives have to be coming from the C-suite or do you feel that, you know, is it someone who's kind of at the bottom and sees something like where, where do these usually play out? I mean, it kind of depends on size of org, right? Like in a, if we're looking at like a tangerine, a bank, an insurance company, whatever, can we just talk about them? Like it sort of has to come, it, it can bubble up, but it needs buy-in from the stakeholders who are going to be uh, on board with massive organizational change. And it truly is a large organizational change to go from whatever it was that your normal was before to Mm -hmm. we're now a experiment hypothesis driven organization. That's not natural to just evolve that way. it It takes a lot of like, not just nudging, it takes pushing. So, I think that's sort of where I, we probably have failed generally, uh, you know, as capitalists, as uh, commercial entities over the last five years is not really realizing that you can't use the same company structures, the same legal structures, the same departments and all that when you're going into a world of hypotheses and experiments and, you know, uh, we've talked, like you and I have talked about this a bit, yeah. but like a just, so just GIST goals, ideas, uh, strategies and tactics, I believe. Uh, uh-huh. Someone's going to correct me because I think it's wrong at strategies and tactics. Uh, but basically, you know, have a goal. You know, like we, we want to automate something. That's an easy goal to talk about. Uh-huh. And then you have ideas on what this automation is going to be. You have a bunch of of steps that you try. I think it might be steps actually. Uh, and then you have uh, specific trials, and I think it's trials. Uh, so now, if any of those trials fail, that's fine. I mean, it may even be the wrong trials altogether, but you get into, okay, these fail fast, and I don't worry too much about them. It's not that much of an investment. Mm-hmm. And each one of these steps uh, might bubble up into a really good idea that you had on how to solve it. But right. the idea may be foolhardy completely. And if you can fail all the way up that chain, you haven't killed your goal. You just go to the next idea. That's right. And that's basically what science is. You're experimenting. I mean, we just talked about thesis. And I mean, we harp on PhDs all the time. But like, realistically, it's hard. Because no one teaches you as an undergraduate how to constantly fail and move towards a goal. <laughs> and that's, that's what right. you're doing in, in your PhD is you're failing, 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 failing until eventually you have enough to write about in your failures and hopefully have some successes that you get published. That's right. So I, I believe executives and lar- largely management isn't often isn't very comfortable with the idea of failure being a success. That's right. Well, and I think That's a big thing of, too is, yeah. well, a big thing too is, is like, 
you know, there's the failure, but even going above that, it's like ideation, right? So things like, sure. what do you, <laughs> what do you want to solve? Yeah. Like, figuring, like just even figuring that out. Right. And then figuring out like the value of what you're trying to solve is. So like, what is that, you know, concrete, um, value and like, you know, maybe you're just doing like a two by two where it's like potential and feasibility or something like that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like going down into like super basic, but you know, it's like you need that um, ownership and the recognition from like managers and like executives and figuring out, you know, what's important to who and, you know, how, how important is it to the organization? You know, I I mean, everyone has their own personal agendas within their own departments and stuff, but you know, figuring out where that, I think there's infinite possibilities, right? Or a huge swath of possibilities, but obviously you're going to have to figure out what, um, you know, what, what matters to the company most and then bring that all to the table. Right. And then, and then obviously people within each, I guess, like division or business unit are, you know, vying for this and maybe it's all done at once. Highly doubt it. Or maybe it's done one at a time, you know, uh, by priority, but then, and then figuring out the gaps and just being like, all right, do we have the right people to do this? Do we need to hire? Do we need to, you know, like bringing all that in. But I think a lot of people just rush to the rush to the thing, rush to the goal and just be like, all right, we're hiring PhDs and then we're going to get this project off the ground. And, you know, yeah. there's not really a lot of those like parameters, but how do you, how do you feel about um, companies who are not digitally native, you know, so, the bigger banks, the insurance companies, like, you know, these entrenched companies that have been around 50 to a hundred years, um, picking out a project, like how, how would you go about, you know, saying like, all right, we're at zero. How do we get to one? How do we get to one out of 10? So when you have like this many sort of procedural rules, uh, like a very large organizations need to have in order to really, you know, to do anything, they actually need these rules because they hire so many people, right? Uh, it often, this is probably more of a feeling, but I'm sure many other people have had this sort of feeling. Um, they'll often stifle the, the smart people that they hire with those processes, right? So you right. transplant some of those very smart people into a lean, tiny little startup, they'll do amazing stuff. And you have a little, like a little lean startup come in as your vendor and all of a sudden to the large right. organization, they do amazing stuff and right. it leaves you scratching your head. And I feel there's a few reasons, like some of it is, you know, Chinese firewalls between everything in, in most companies. So like, I am the steward of data. You are not touching my data. Why do you want my data? Why should you get access? Like there's a bit of protectionism there and a firewall. And the other thing is a lot of people still believe that there's job security and being the one that knows something. So rather than yeah, yeah. giving true. it away and telling your organization, guys, like there's this nugget of truth or there's this value that we could unearth or something like that, right? Whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, some people hold on to it and go, I'm going to hold this in case someday there's a reorg where I may be kicked out and I'll be like, oh, surprise, I have this wonderful thing that could, you know, get us 12% more revenue. I've got this Excel spreadsheet and it's like the best. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a little bit of both of those. Uh, And that's that's often why you see like nimble, small vendors get into these large organizations and do good work is that, well, first of all, they're hungry. So they're going to do as much as they can to to get there. 
But secondly, is you often have when you're that little little nimble startup, you'll often have uh, buy-in from some you know senior management person who basically runs offensive line for you. So they block all the bullshit from that organization, uh, and they ensure that you get access that you would need to fulfill all the things. And they even let you bend or break some of the rules that the organization might have. You know, like, oh, we're not a cloud organization. Guys, we need cloud because of GPU. Okay, well, we're (laughs) a cloud organization today. That's right. Do you think that that do you think that um, people who or maybe I shouldn't say people do you think that companies who have large quote quote AI departments are more resourced and I guess equipped to handle this or do you think it's you know something small and nimble where people kind of come in and solve a problem versus you know a department running it. Uh, I think once you get large, like, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard of this, like through that rule of 150, once you get beyond 150, you don't know who you're, you're batting for. You don't know who, who right. you're standing for. Right. So like when you stop knowing the names of the people that you're working with, right. it becomes sort of faceless and it's like, all right, well, there be, there, there are a thousand ML person, but that's all I know. Right. So right. at some, at some level they're, there does exist sort of this break in we're a cohesive unit. We're doing really good work. And I've seen a lot of firms sort of build their AI practice up to like 500 or whatever. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, yeah. But they can do it as long as they pod out smaller crews. But you still have a, a difference in tool set, a difference in skill, a difference in right. paradigm and methodology that a lot of these people will ascribe to, right? And that can lead to like lack of cohesion and it can lead to duplication of work. And it, it's often something like you don't realize that somebody has solved this problem at your company before. Right. And now you're solving the exact same problem that somebody has and you could just recycle it. Do you feel you that know? like it's almost like an internal consulting function versus um, like a departmental function? Yeah, I don't know exactly how to think of like data science and AI research. I feel like the best way to properly set them up is almost as like limited partners in a consulting company of sorts, even that if that is your department within a larger organization. Right. Because that gives them the ability to be pod and to be experimental and try things out and you know not really have to ascribe to exactly the same stuff as everybody and give a little bit of spin to it yourself but again that's a hypothesis i have i'm not certain if that's the right way because i have not let any uh, like an ai practice that's north of 100 people right well and it's also large yeah at a non-digitally native company exactly right like every company that i've been part of is a digitally native company so yeah yeah, that's, you know, and that's really interesting because I think that, you know, I've, I've always kind of been the, the pod type of person, you know, have multi, you know, multiple practitioners of various skills, you know, yeah. banding together to solve a problem, you know, groups of like five, six folks, and then, you yeah. know, leveraging 
everyone outside the team to help you, but you kind of have this core group, but I guess you have a whole bunch of, um, a whole bunch of pods running around, you know, even if you had like 10 pods, like 60 people, right. Five, six people. So like 60 people running around doing stuff. It's, it, it still can get, you know, you like, you still need to coordinate, but you need to pick out those projects. And the thing is because you're transforming like a piece at a time, it's almost like you need this transformation strategy that is coordinated too, because, you know, you have people kind of picking off projects here and there. And then it's like, you know, two years later, you, you look down and you're like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) like some of these things are not coordinated and they're not running along with each other very well. Right. Um, I mean, if you, if you were to set it up like pods that are in a sense, um, so like a matrix uh, style management organization. So if you were to set it up that way, where it's not that you're a data scientist and you're now in a group of data scientists and that's, where you live all the time. Yeah. If you're a data scientist, you're part of a team that's going to solve a problem. That's the that's that's right. real, that's the value that you're bringing. Like there's a problem, let's go solve it. Um, but you may not get all of the best practices, tools, that's all the last stuff from your pod team. You may actually need to go back to your data science, uh, you know, I guess squad, and look at them and talk to them about the best practices and also share on a on a certain cadence it could be weekly or whatever uh the kind of things that you learned the kind of papers that you've read the kind of things that you've researched all that stuff so that the best practices get embedded into all of the groups that's right so it's possible to do it it's tricky but an organization at that size at that that many people is going to be tricky to manage regardless so that's right. And there's like, I mean, deciding of, what you want to get. Well, no, that's totally true. And I think part of it too is, is like showing the wins, right? Yeah. There's so much like psychology. I mean, change management is such an interesting topic, you know, and the whole organizational behavior side of things and the OR side of things. And like, yeah, you know, there's that, the traditional, I don't know if it's traditional, but anytime I've done change management stuff, it's all been through the, the ADCAR model, which is the awareness, yep. desire, knowledge, ability, reinforcement and stuff. And like, the thing about AI is it's it's one of those things where it's like you might put it in place and nobody knows, yep. <laughs> right? There's no there's no like necessarily reinforcement. It's just kind of like happening in the back end. Like if you're doing, I don't know why I keep going back to like fraud detection, but you know, it's like if you're flagging, you know, if the computer's flagging all this stuff and it's just giving it to some sort of operator that's you know executing on that, it's it, it doesn't it's it's not necessarily about the stickiness. So I feel that you know, these, the traditional, those traditional models or the, you know, the well-established change management model plays well into it, but there's also this other piece, which is like um, the measurement side, you know, like people, you know, it's like, is it doing well? Is it, you know, is it achieving the goals that we want, you know, being very, very like goal driven. Um, And I don't know if change management, I mean, Adcar is goal oriented, but it, it's almost like there's a, I don't know, there's this like other piece to it where it's like, you might not see it. So how do you know it's working? <laughs> well, then and, the problem is you also can't explain most of it, right? It, it, especially if you're talking about neural networks. Yeah. Like the black boxiness. It, yeah. Even if you knew all of the variables that are going into that neural network and you understood the math, mm-hmm. like, there's so many variables if you're looking at these like large enterprises in any problems they're solving that 
it would be absurd for you to even try to wrap your hand, your head around, right? Right. So the explainability of it is going to be also absurd. So right. I don't think there's there's a level of discomfort generally with right. the the governance and it's really the governance around AI because you can't really go, well, I knew that was going to happen. Uh, right. And it's logical. Like right. some of it isn't logical because we don't think that way, right? Right. And yeah. do you think that, um, you know, kind of going back to this adoption piece where, do you think it's people that are uncomfortable because they don't know about it? I mean, when you're, when you're typically doing change management at an, or, at an organization, I would say the CEO or the person kind of championing the change, uh, someone at the top, you know, really understands or has like at least some sort of topical understanding, topical being not the topic itself, but itself, but just kind of like, you know, surface level understanding. Oh, yeah. it is. Okay. Um, like the cream. <laughs> yep. um, but, you know, there's, there's that. And then at least there's comfort there, right? When you're, when you're pulling in AI being this, you know, I don't want to say panacea, but this completely, <laughs> you know, new concept and understanding what it is and saying like, okay, let's, you know, you're basically saying I'm putting my money down on this, on this idea, but I actually have no idea what it does. Yeah. Do you think, and like the do you think that's thing part is of it? At the C-suite and at the board level, you often hear people just say, oh, you know what? I want AI. And you're, right. you're, you're just like, but what do you need AI for? And that's the question I, I often have for them. It's like, why AI? Like, is it just the cool factor? Is it, is it FOMO? Like, did an other competitor or, or somebody... That's right. The competition is you know. AI. Yeah. And it's like, you need to have a reason to put that kind of... News investment in because it's not just it's not just people it's people resources hardware there's a lot of cost to ai if you're just doing it for no reason whatsoever like if there isn't real value at the end of it and you're just going to be like you know tiny little bit better and it's not even measurable then why bother like put the chatbot up just say you did ai that's right <laughs> yeah. yeah and i mean ai as a competitive advantage that's that's huge i mean it's good if it's actually what the competitive advantage is, but as uh, <laughs> just to have it and it doesn't give you any other value, it's like changing your logo to red from blue. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, everyone's red. We've got to go red. So why not just do it along, follow along, and do it? So, I mean, I, I always feel like there's actually doing the project is not hard. You know, right. the I always find the technology side not hard. Yes, it can be very laborious. Like. Um, you know, someone we know has spent a year or two putting together all the data sources in their company into one spot. Yeah. Right. And that's hard, but it's not, it's labor intensive. I don't think it's hard per se. Maybe there's a lot, there's a lot of probably convincing that needs to be done, but yeah. the actual technical work is not hard. So, you know, there has to be a story that goes along with it. Right. And that whole, you know, first of all, like convincing people or, getting them to buy into your idea of like, we need all the data in one spot. Right. But I mean, that's not even AI. That's just getting the data all there. But do you think that there's um, like a storytelling component or a component around the idea of, you know, adoption? Like what, what do people need to do or what's that story that someone needs to have to actually like 
make it a compelling, you know, one of those like Godfather. Um, mm-hmm. Let me give you the offer. Gonna make an offer you, can, you can't refuse. <laughs> that's right. I <laughs> give you an offer you can't refuse. Right. So like, what, well, what if is you that? do it on the day of my daughter's wedding, I'll just say yes to AI. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, generally, technologists and scientists are really, really, really bad, uh, and this is a very bad stereotype and generalization, but it largely holds true. Uh, they're very bad at storytelling. They're very bad at trying to convince business folks and looking for business value. Um, they're not MBAs, basically, is, is where they don't live well. Mm-hmm. So there, unfortunately, there isn't a, a, like a nice, easy path for them to get that skill other than failing at it several times or you know, being mentored through it or whatever. But yeah, they need to flex that muscle a lot more. And uh, in the same way that, you know, we deliver projects uh, with our mentees and, and with our, our labs and everything, mm-hmm. it's, it's akin to that. It's just like you see when people start lab one, they kind of suck. And like, I don't mean that they're bad people or anything. They just, they're not delivering real value. Right. They don't know. And exactly. After several projects, it's just like they, they still don't have it on lock, but like they're getting way better. And you would see that them even versus often an intermediate person, uh, they're going to shine above them. And it's not that they have better modeling skills or better right. uh, exploratory skills or whatever. It's really just that they know how to tell that story better. They know how to present it to people better. And right. they know what the question should be, you know, because they know how to get that question from people. Right. Yeah, no, that's totally true. I think, you know, one, a couple of the big skills really like if it's identified at the top, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel that it's not even identified at the top. It's mandated from the top and then it's brought down. You know, uh, the CEO is not going to say unless they're a technical CEO where they're just going to say like, this is what we need to do yeah. to, to win. But, yeah. you know, I think it'll be at a high level being like, okay, guys, what's the, what's our AI strategy. And then yeah. that filters that bubbles down to the actual practitioners. But, you know, I think the yeah. storytelling is a big, is a big thing. Is there, is there like an ideation phase? Would you say like, do people kind of sit in a room and kind of bubble up ideas? Is it, do you feel that it's, um, or have you seen that, that kind of strategy or how do people actually put it together? Uh, so what I've seen in the boardroom uh, is people have read in CIO or Economist or Forbes or whatever. Yeah, HBR, that, whatever. Yeah, or HBR. Yeah, like they, somebody that's similar to them in in some commercial entity, some business uh, yep. has done this or that or the other, and it's in another country. So they're like, oh, we would have an opportunity to do, to do that as well in our country, in our market, because no one else is really doing it. So how do we do that? And then they punt that down to, you know, like if it's from the C level, they punt it down to their directors or their SVPs or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And eventually it gets distilled down to the doers and it's broken telephone. So now you get down to the doers, the contributors, and mm-hmm. they, because they haven't spoken to the CIO, let's say, or the CEO mm-hmm. uh, about it, and they haven't really gotten what the project was supposed to really be about, you kind of get this fractured thing and you often see projects that end up going nowhere for two or three years. And that's, that's also where large enterprises uh, lose and 
do better by hiring vendors rather than trying to build these apartments completely on their own is that when you bring in the vendors, you fire them. That's fine. When you have right. a whole crew of people, uh, you often just write projects off because it's just like, it's a bit of a shame. It's an embarrassment, but in three months, nobody's going to remember that. So right. we don't actually have to worry about the deliverable all that much. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, from what I've, what I've seen too, is that the ones that have worked, it's a lot of, they have to get around the hype beast, the hype machine, yeah. you know, people just being like, Oh, we, I saw this go, you know, just like you said, I saw this in another country. Let's do this. And I, I always think that, you know, at least it's a good start, but I think there needs to be, a, it needs to go a little deeper and be like, okay, I saw this. Well, what else, what else is out there? Right. Yeah. And where are the other projects we can be tackling? But I always feel that, you know, coming to this, you know, at the C-suite anyways, is it's really hard because they're not technical. Right. And yeah. Um, you know, maybe this gets punted over to the CTO and then, you know, they put together an AI strategy of how they're going to win and whatnot, but I haven't seen it personally. I haven't seen it done well. I've seen it done tactically well in an organization. It's like, okay, yeah, we're going to automate our marketing or we're going to, you know, uh, put together, um, better trade algorithms internally, you know, things like that, where just like kind of their one-off projects, it's almost like bringing a vendor in to solve a problem, but it's not actually like it's not actually playing at the strategic level. So I actually haven't seen a project that was like, wow, these guys have transformed into a super data rich organization that I've been involved in anyways. I've just seen people put it in place here and there. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen a large organization really like knock, knock it, out it out of the out park, of the park. Yeah. Unless they were tech first, like Google knocks it out of the park all the time in AI. Right. But right. Right. But like, yeah, a, a non-digital first company, yeah, you're right. I, like, I'm trying to think other than like chatbots or, or things on their website or recommend uh, recommendation engines, like collaborative yeah. filtering or something. No, I haven't seen much of it really permeate the organization. Like, and even if you look at the large banks and insurance companies, yeah, like the majority of the risk modeling has been done by vendors. The majority right. of default modeling has been done by vendors. Right? Like, they internally they did regressions, and then the vendors did much better with other right. stuff, right? So. And maybe that's just not how it's not going to be, right? Like, as in, maybe it'll always be like that. So, for example, I was just thinking, okay, you know, at the banks, banks are huge organizations, you know, for it to trickle through would be hard. But, you know, these challenger banks that are coming up, like, what if these there's like digital first banks that just are built completely on data, right? Like everything, there's no like mainframe infrastructure. Everything is done in the cloud. Like you're starting from zero. So you're kind of like the new, you're like the Tesla, Right, I, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. the new car company from the the last car company in the you know hundred years type of thing. Yeah, um, and you know it what is that? They have an like? advantage, but like the problem that they would have is just like acquisition, straight right? acquisition, right? So yeah, you know like the, you have to spend all your money on trying to get people, which is what the banks do now. That's right. So you know these these smaller banks, you know they just don't have a chance. It's just like you know a, a telco in Canada. There, no no one's cracked the big three. And then yeah. when they do, when they kind of do, you get bought out, right? So exactly, there's, yeah. you know, so I don't, I don't know what that looks like as in, has someone transformed? I'd love to hear if, if you know, you listeners out there know of a, a company that has really kind of made huge leaps and bounds. Um, I'd love to, to see, you know, what they yeah. did and who that company is. I Maybe we already a bunch know of micro, There's been a bit of a uh, bunch of micro loans style companies in mm-hmm. emerging markets that have popped up and they're digital first. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know that they're doing AI specifically. They're doing some automation where other banks don't, and they're looser on their terms uh, right. and their approvals, right? So I don't know that it's very much a different world for them. It's just a different clientele. When they're looser on their terms and stuff, they have that advantage where they can kind of move around, but you're, you know, you're playing David and Goliath, right? But, yeah. you know, and it does, I don't think it needs to just be at a bank. Like what about, you know, I don't know, Nike or Under Armour or, right. you know, re- like more traditional stuff like retail or, you know, any kind of service industry, food suppliers. I mean, you can like see that, like right? e-commerce, e-commerce or generally commerce and retail is getting flipped on its head. And mm-hmm. the people who are coming out on top is Shopify. That's like right. Shopify is winning this because everybody has to be digital when they weren't expected right. to be digital now, right? That's right. And I so, think COVID is just boosting Shopify, right? Like Nike oh, yeah. was saying, Nike was saying that they want to be 50% of their revenue from online right now. Oh, like do they? In, yeah, by 2030 uh, or something oh, like that, or 2025, it's something crazy where they're just like, we're going all in on digital. And well, I mean, I think COVID has really kind of opened up the door to everyone to do everything via yeah. Right? contactless I'll exactly. say, or virtual yeah like pickup is the like closest thing you'll get to retail for a while yeah, it's it's, it's so. wild so i i'm interested in seeing any of the those companies any company that has really you know hit the mark on changing their i wouldn't say changing their mandate but really kind of embracing the 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 ai and the data the data I don't know what we'll call it revolution, but really the revolution. And they, you know, what are those companies? What are those spaces? How did they do it? And what are those uh, names? I think a lot of people have claimed to do it. Yeah. But, you know, I wonder what the, the people that have really kind of changed their model in the, in the traditional space. I think digital natives, you know, they don't count because it's like you're starting yeah. from zero and you, yeah. you started with data. So you should. Yeah, if you're less than 20 years old as a company, it's hard to include you in this in this chat because like you started mm-hmm. after dot com, right? So that's right. You were already pointed exactly into computers. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Didn't have paper so maybe that's the question we leave yeah. our our listeners with is who has done a good job uh, at being digitally not digitally native, but at transitioning to a digital economy much better, much faster than their competitors? Because I don't know, and maybe we could talk about them later. Yeah, that'd be no, that'd be great, and like figure out who these guys are, and then flip flip and then, them an interview. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks for listening. Um, the remote, we'll call it the remote remote edition, on oh, the yeah. road edition. <laughs> the inception remote. <laughs> that's right. Well, thanks, thanks, guys, uh, and we'll tune in uh, with you guys again next week. Yep. Have a good one. Take care. Bye.